A Piece of Justice with Barbara Flynn as Imogen Kwai and Rosemary Leach as Janet Summerfield. like a tornado has struck it. A quilt afternoon, obviously. No, don't close that door, Josh. You'll have fabrics flying all over the place. Well, are we permitted to sit down here? Mm. Gently, gently. Look, give me a minute. I'll have this lot stowed away in no time. I've been searching for a pattern. And? And, Josh, I found a humdinger. Blocks that merge into each other and run across the entire surface. She loves that sort of thing. Oh, Fran knows my taste in these matters. Yes, this is going to be my best one yet. Imogen, there's a quilt on every bed in the house, and there's at least three in the airing cupboard. Where on earth are you going to put another one? Oh, perhaps hmm? I'll auction it and donate the proceeds to charity. Oh, the Society for Indigent College Nurses. <laughs> you just be thankful I'm as indigent as I am, Francis Bullion, or you wouldn't be lodging in my desirable Cambridge residence. Oh, well, long may you remain as poverty-stricken as you are today. Anyway, what's happened? You said something's happened. Oh, yes. You'll never believe this. But at last, Professor Mavarax found me some gainful employment. Mm, the answer to a maiden's prayer. Oh, Fran, that's marvellous. What is it? Teaching? Oh, even better. A spot of ghosting. Ooh. Will it pay? Amazingly well. Oh, and it's right up my street. Biography. Hey, how do I make out as a ghost? Haunt, haunt. Oh, fool. Pour yourself a coffee and tell me all about I'll it. I'll get some mugs. Oh, thanks. Okay. Well... The publishers have commissioned this thing from someone who started getting all the papers together and then couldn't finish it, right? So they asked the prof to take over. He did agree, but what with his new job and, and setting up the department and all that, he just hasn't got the time. Yeah. Oh, thanks. But the book's been announced, and the publishers are pretty desperate, so Maverick's offering me the chance to write it under his supervision. Well, his name will have to go on it, of course, but he'll give me every penny of the advance <laughs> and share the royalties, if any, 50-50. End of Fran's money problems for the next academic year. Oh, Fran, <laughs> I am pleased. But if you're writing it, shouldn't your name be on the title page? Oh, the publishers wouldn't have it. They need a well-known authority or it won't get reviewed and well, it, it won't sell. Yeah, and he will put my name on it somewhere. I mean, I'll get a share of the credit. And that won't do my CV any harm, I can tell you. You didn't say. Who is the biography of? Oh, Gideon Summerfield. A mathematician of some sort. He's about to get the Waymark Prize. Gideon Summerfield. Mm. I know that name. Didn't he used to be a tutor at St Agatha's? <laughs> You're not saying you knew him. No, no, long before my time. I don't think they had college nurses then. Mm. But he must be dead by now, surely. Oh, he is. Yeah. The prize is posthumous. Well, look, I've got to run. Hmm. Are you coming, Josh? Yeah, all right behind you. Oh, oh, um, if a large box arrives for me, it'll be the Summerfield papers from Mark Zephyr. Bye! Okay, bye! bye. Oh, Fran, why didn't Mark Zephyr finish the job? Oh, he died! Superb as ever, my dear Miss Quive. <laughs> Thank you. But I wish I could prevail on you to call me Imogen. Oh, I'm too old, Miss Quive. <laughs> Uh, informality sits ill on someone who first became a member of St. Agatha's senior common room half a century ago. 
But you must give me the recipe for that delicious hors d'oeuvre. Knowing your predilection for recipes, Dr. Mistral, I've written it out already. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. I must say, I'm intrigued to know whether you ever try out any of these recipes of mine. Oh, my dear Miss Quai, being male and a college fellow is not an absolute bar to being a good cook. Oh, I didn't mean to... Take but... Meredith Baggadeuse. Now, he's an excellent cook. <laughs> My only complaint against him is that he doesn't invite me to dinner often enough. <laughs> Half a century. I wonder if you knew Gideon Summerfield. Summerfield? Oh, somewhat. Why do you ask? A friend of mine's been asked to write his biography. Really? You surprised me. Was he interesting? That's what I'm asking you. Well, he was a research fellow when I first came to St. Agatha's, a bit older than me. No, I can't think why anyone should want a biography of Gideon Summerfield, apart from Janet, that is. Janet? His wife, a widow, I mean. Yes, fiercely devoted sort of woman. But isn't he going to be awarded the Waymark Prize? Mm, so I hear and that's the most surprising thing about him. Now, I know nothing about mathematics, so it's hard to judge. But even his own colleagues were surprised at what he'd done. How do you mean? Well, you see, Gideon Summerfield was a perfectly respectable mathematician until suddenly, rather late in life, he produced this one splendid piece of work. And that was that. Baggadue says most mathematicians flourish young and then it's downhill all the way. To get better in midstream is most unusual. And as director of mathematical studies, he should know. And this one splendid piece of work, what was it? Oh, you're asking the wrong person. It was some kind of geometry, I think. I remember Dr. Baggadius was very excited when it was first published. Uh, but you should ask him about it. Baggadius is the person to ask. Right, I will. <sighs> Well, at least now I've got the papers up here. And created some sort of order out of the chaos. Fran, I am so sorry. <laughs> Look, don't worry about it. As you can see, they're all nearly sorted. Um, I was just hoping you could remember where some of this stuff over here came from. Not a chance. You see, this delivery man arrived at the front door with a huge cardboard box filled with papers and coming apart at the scenes. It was tied together with string, for heaven's sake. It's madness. I asked him to carry it up here to your room, but he hadn't gone up more than three steps when the whole thing disintegrated, sort of burst out in all directions. Oh, my God. The string snapped, the cardboard tore, and the papers just cascaded down the staircase. He started shoving them back in the old house, but I told him to leave them. Then I tried to sort them out. You did? Fab, Imogen. It really isn't all that bad. Well, those box files over there stayed fastened. The ones labelled from Mark Zephyr. Then when I got down to it, a whole mass of paper seemed to have come from a torn paper file. That one. The one marked recovered from the premises of May Swan. So I repaired the file with sticky tape and put them all together. Letters, diaries, wallets full of holiday snacks. Well, you were absolutely right. They did all belong together. So, oh. well, I'm only left with this batch. But these, well... They do pose a problem or two. How do you mean? Well, see this notebook for a start. See, notes about Summerfield, and all divided into chapters. What about it? Well, it isn't Mark Zephyr's handwriting. Look, this is a page from his box files. See, just compare. Yes, and I see what you mean. Mm. You know, I knew a girl at school called Zephyr. I wonder if she... Almost all Mark Zephyr's work on the book was done on his computer. All right, so it's this May Swan... Perhaps she was some friend or relative of Summerfield's who started putting his papers in mm, order. It just looks too professional. 
Oh, I'm really confused. I'm going to have to ask someone at the publishers if they know more about it. Maybe you should hold off a bit before you do that. Why? Well, you might find yourself working with just the Zephyr box files. I found something among those papers I don't think you were meant to see. Look. Um, send at once to Francis Bullion, address below. Zephyr files on Summerfield, keep back the rest. Keep back the rest? Mm. You were meant to see only those box files. They didn't want you to have all the rest of this stuff. Damn it, Imogen. Well, how can they give me a job like this and not trust me with the documents? What the hell are they playing at? But, Fran, they don't know anything about you, do they? It must be your professor they don't trust. If I were you, I'd start working on this material at once and say nothing until someone notices. Imogen Quai? Oh, Imogen, I'm so pleased I've caught you. Celia Buckmote here. Hello, Lady B. What can I do for you? I need a woman. <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> Say nothing. To make up my numbers at dinner tonight, William wants to take a look at this new professor, the, the, the biographer with a funny name. Maverick. The very man. He's got a chair, but no fellowship. The university's looking around for a college to take him under its wing. William wants to dine him before making a decision. Lady B, I'd love to come. Splendid. About 6.30. Help yourselves. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Tell me, Dr. Maverick, how are you finding Cambridge? A little daunting, Lady Buckmote, truth to tell. You've come to us from... San Diego, Master, ah. and before that, Williams, Massachusetts. Well, oh. compared with that uh, more liberal environment, one can understand you're finding our entrenched traditionalism a little daunting. Oh, I like the traditions, Dr. Bagaduce. It's the traffic that terrifies me. <laughs> <laughs> you try riding a bicycle through <laughs> And are you engaged in writing a biography at present, Dr. Maverick? Oh, not at present, Master. No. I've written three, but I regard myself as a theoretician rather than a practitioner. There's a theory of biography? Of what? possible use can a theory be? Oh, my dear Dr. Bagaduce, how can one propound the meaning of a human life without a theory of what makes human life meaningful? Oh, well, do explain, Dr. Maverick. Well, Lady Buckmote, start with Plutarch. All he was interested in was world leaders, their style of leadership. But move into the Dark Ages and you get a completely different set of values. The Christian view full of conversions leading to personal redemption. All lives, even kings as tough as old rope like Charlemagne, become hagiography. I see. And how does the story go on? Well, take the first modern biographer, Boswell. By his time, the idea of character has emerged. Human beings as individuals identified by their eccentricities. Ah, but not their sexual eccentricities. <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet, Master. In Boswell's time, sexuality simply wasn't seen as specially important. And then came Freud. As you say, Miss Quay. And is something now superseding Freudian interpretation? Deconstruction. The theory that human life has no meaning at all. Well, many of us now believe that the biographer's true task is to discover the lies and delusions we all invent to defend ourselves against life's indignity. But is there no such thing as human merit or real achievement? 
Not a very uplifting thought, if I may say so. Mm-hmm. Lies and delusions. Seven four nine six three. Am I speaking to Pamela Zephyr? Yes, and I'm not in the market for double glazing. And I'm not selling any. Pamela, this is Imogen Quay. Good gracious. I remember you. You did my maths for me at school. <laughs> did I? I hope I got them right. Better than I could anyway. How are you these days? Where are you? I'm flourishing here in Cambridge. Pamela, was Mark Zephyr a relative of yours? He was my brother. Why do you ask? C- can I come and talk to you about him? Sometime fairly soon. You can come and talk about anything. Come now, if you like. I'm on my own. How did we lose touch? It was when you went to America. I lost your address when we moved house. Mark and I moved here soon after you left. Mark. Yes. You wanted to ask me about him. Why? Someone I'm very fond of has taken over the Summerfield biography. Oh, well, for God's sake, stop them if you can. It was a horrible job. It made Mark's last days wretched. Pamela, how? His wife, that Janet Summerfield, vitriolic, vicious woman. I honestly believe she's deranged. She'd come storming out here, shouting about writs, trying to get back documents, demanding the right to check every word he wrote. He actually ran away from her image, and would you believe that? God, it was awful. And then she sent a solicitor with a court order round here the day after Mark died to recover the papers, the very next day. Have you any idea what was worrying her about Mark's work? Not really. I don't think he'd uncovered any scandals. He kept complaining how boring the man was. And then... What happened? He went to see her. He was hoping to calm her down and get things sorted. There was just one thing he needed to know from her, he said. You don't know what that was? It was something to do with holidays. And it must have worked, his charm offensive, I mean, because he came back very cheerful. But... But that night, he was feverish. He woke me staggering around, fetching himself water. I called the doctor up first thing in the morning and he shot Mark into the hospital but he was unconscious before he got there. And he died sometime that afternoon. You can imagine the shock. Well, scarcely. What on earth was it? Well, it all happened so quickly. They they diagnosed meningitis, but he was dead before they could get him on the scanner. There'd been two other student deaths with meningitis that month. Pamela, I'm so sorry. These epidemics keep breaking out in university towns. I'm on the key vive all the time. Yes. Well, anyway, bear the dreadful Janet Summerfield in mind. Mark often wondered how his predecessor had got on with her, but of course we couldn't ask her. His predecessor? Didn't you know? Mark wasn't the first person to work on the Summerfield book. A lot had been done when he took it on. And who was it before Mark? Uh, May Swan. And what happened to her? She disappeared. 
She just went out one morning and didn't come back. Hasn't been heard of since. Hello, you two. Oh, How's the great work going? Well, I've got a fairly good grip on all this paperwork now. But she's unearthed the most intriguing gap in the evidence. Really? Mm. It's where Summerfield spent the summer of 78. Turns out to be a bit of a mystery. And Mark Zephyr's notes don't cast any light? Mm, nope. Nor May Swans? Mm, neither of them. Nor Ian Golliard's. Who? The guy who was working on this book before May Swan. Good God, Fran, surely not... Yep, three of them all stopped in midstream. And that, Imogen, is a hefty, nasty coincidence that I don't much care for. Nor me, Josh. Well, it's a bigger coincidence than it looks, because all three stopped work at the same point, wondering where the great Summerfield was during August 78. Mm. Ian Golliard had made a sort of um, a calendar, and it's quite detailed until August, and then there's a question mark. But where is he, this Ian Golliard? She can't find out. There's nothing about him in the papers, you see. No explanation, no address, nothing. His work just stops. And May Swan? Well, dear May kept a work diary. She roughed out the week's work for herself every Monday morning. Her last diary entry says, find out about August 78, and that was two days before she disappeared. Fran. You can ask me about Mark Zephyr, I know. Didn't you say his sister said he had just one little matter to find out about and then he'd be ready to write? Well... What's the betting that that one little thing will turn out to be August 78? But if you're right, what can you do about it? <laughs> Ask. Ask who? <laughs> Janet Summerfield, of course. Trouble, I'm afraid, Imogen. One of our young men has been accused of cheating in the Tripos exam. Very mediocre student, very brilliant essay. He has an explanation. It involves you, dear, I'm afraid. Me, Lady B? Well, he says you gave him some medication which made him exceptionally lucid. <coughs> now, that's what accounts for his unusually good performance. I'm quite sure I've given him nothing stronger than paracetamol. But whatever I gave him, it'll be in the surgery book. Well, the senior tutor is dealing with his Imogen. Can you let him have a copy of the entry in your book as soon as possible? So, what's she like, Fran? The fearsome Janet. Ooh, sort of... Ample, like a ship in full sail. <laughs> what did you tell her? Well, she obviously didn't know Maverick had farmed out the biography, so I said... Hmm, I said I was his student doing a bit of preparatory work for him. And? She got very friendly and helpful. Fetched out an album of family photos to show me. Of course, I kept hoping one of the little captions would say, Summer 78, and such luck. And I kept putting my foot in it by failing to recognise her in the photos. Well, holiday snaps. Mm, it was partly that. And partly she kept changing. I mean, well, the woman sitting on more than half the sofa with me just didn't look like the slender one in the swimsuit standing on a beach in Brittany in 1955. Well, how many of us stay the same? Yes, but she'd done it more than once. She kept doing it. Doing what? Putting on weight and losing it again. Oh. She'd gone up and down like a yo-yo. <laughs> <laughs> and was there a photo of Summer 78? No. So eventually I asked her about it. And that's when the roof fell in. Who put you up to this? Someone in that publishing house. I have told those people over and over again that it doesn't matter. But my opinion seems to count for nothing. Who, who knew more about poor Gideon than I did? And if I say where he went one summer is of no significance, who is daring to say that it is? Who? Who put you up to asking me? No one, Mrs. Summerfield. 
Honestly, the question just popped into my head. Well, then let me tell you, Miss Bullion, that all the Summerfield papers are mine. And this biography cannot be written without my consent. And I say that matter will be omitted from the biography. Do you understand? It will not be included. If any attempt is made to mention it, I'll get an injunction and prevent publication. You can take that message back to whoever sent you. Now, you can leave. Go on. Get out. Out! Coming. I'm coming. Who is it? You open up, please. I'd like a word with you. Yes? Who are you? What do you want? My name is Janet Summerfield. Does Frances Bullion live here? Yes. She's not at home. I don't require to see her. She has certain documents in her possession which are my property. I have come to retrieve them. Please let me in so that I can find what I've come for as quickly as possible. Let you search Miss Bullion's flat in her absence and take things away? Certainly not. That property is mine, I tell you. And this is my house. I'll tell Fran you called. She'll deal with the matter when she comes back. No doubt she'll be in touch. You haven't heard the last of this. By God, you haven't. Yes? You're Miss Imogen Quai, I take it. That's my name, Mrs. Summerfield. Last night, my lawyer obtained an ex parte hearing before a judge in chambers. The judge has given me a Mariva injunction to be served on a Francis Bullion, a resident at this address. Let me see her. Hello, Mrs. Summerfield. Hmm. We meet again, Miss Bullion. Here, take this. What is it? A writ. It prevents you destroying, defacing, concealing, or removing those papers until a hearing before a judge. You don't have to accept it, Fran. Of course I will. I have no intention of doing any of those things. In fact, you can have your blessed papers. Just hold on one second. I'll give you a hand. Why on earth did you resort to an injunction? Well, no one had refused to return the papers. You refused to return them yesterday. I did no such thing. I refused to allow you into Miss Bullion's flat when she wasn't present. That's quite a different matter. Here they are. And how do I know everything's here? You could have kept things back. I assure you that this box contains every one of the 306 documents delivered to me from the offices of Rectype and Disc. Mm-hmm. Well, if they're not, I'll be back. I can assure you of that. Good day to you. She's too late anyway. I've read it all and made copies of the useful bits. And so help me God, Imogen, I'm going to give a proper account of Gideon Summerfield, whatever anyone says. If you ask me, there's more to this than meets the eye. Well, I'm with Imogen on that. Gracious Imogen, and all on your doorstep. <laughs> what an excitement. A little too exciting for comfort, Lady B. But my lodger, Fran, is determined to discover the whole truth about Gideon Summerfield, come hell or high water. Well, of course. If it were me, I'd ask Melanie. Who's Melanie? Melanie Bratch. She was Gideon Summerfield's mistress for years and years. 
He had a mistress. Well, truth to tell, he had several. But Melanie was his mistress-in-chief. We all knew. He used to have tea with her once a week. <laughs> and if he couldn't make it, Janet Summerfield would ring up and change the day. <laughs> <laughs> Good heavens! <laughs> Miss Quine, may I join you? Oh, Professor Maverick, isn't it? Please do. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm told that Francis Bullion is your lodger and a close friend. Uh, correct on both counts. Well, I'm afraid I may have put Miss Bullion into a difficult situation inadvertently, of course. Dr. Maverick, I hope you're not going to tell me that you gave Francis the Summerfield biography knowing it was likely to lead her into danger. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I gave it to her because I thought the money would be useful. <laughs> Did you know the project had been in difficulties? Oh, yes. Uh, but I'd no idea what difficulties. <laughs> you know, I'm probably just imagining things. Tell me. I'm no statistician, but what are the chances of three people in succession just, well, ceasing to be around and all of them working on the same thing? Well, that struck me. It's certainly a bit strange. I hope it's nothing more. That's why I've been to the police. They clearly thought me mad. <laughs> they asked what I thought the motive could be for suppressing biographers. Tell me, Dr. Maverick, why exactly did you offload this commission on a student? Oh, quite simply. I thought it would be boring. <laughs> See, what really interests me in biography is the discovery of deceit, demolishing the false facades people erect. I thought old Summerfield was too unimaginative to have done any such thing. I checked up on his great discovery. It's thought genuine. An appendage to Penrose. Penrose? Yeah, Penrose discovered these funny patterns which don't repeat to infinity in any direction. But if you rotate them, they have a sort of ghostly five-sided quality. I mean, they're great fun. Summerfield came up with a variant. Ghostly heptagons. All right, then. Only one highlight in a boring life. Even if there was a dark secret or two. What dark secret? His mistress, perhaps? <laughs> Melanie? She isn't a dark secret. Everybody who knew him knows about her. It's rather a feather in the old boar's cap, I'd have thought. She was a very beautiful woman. You knew her? I knew them all long ago, when we were all young, before I went to America. Mike, you are a brick. Don't mention it. Please. Well, sit down. Thank you. Ah. What's the point of having a detective sergeant as a friend if you can't make use of him? That's what I always say. Mike. <laughs> anyway, Imogen. Ah, your Professor Maverack was right. I can't find anyone working on his report. They've taken his statement to humour him and simply put it on file. But Mike, why? Why wouldn't the police be interested? Because our job is solving crime, not conundrums. But this might be a crime. Several crimes. Really? Hmm. But what have we got here? A funny coincidence. And a worry on your part that something might happen to a friend of yours. But, Mike... Now, bear with me. Suppose there had been three crimes. Something, we know not what, that befell Ian Gulliard. A disappearance which indicates a crime against Mace One. 
and a death from apparently natural causes, which you were implying was not natural at all. I never said that. Meningitis you is You are implying that. You must be. If these crimes have taken place, the motivation of the criminal is unusual. Bizarre. It isn't anything like the motives the police are used to. It isn't uh, lust, jealousy, filthy lucre, revenge or rage. It isn't self-defense. It is some arcane matter to do with biography. The biography of a dead Don who seems to have lived a boring and law-abiding life. Honestly, Imogen, what a Farago. And the police are busy. I see. And if something were to happen to Fran, what then? Ah, well, that would take a bit of laughing off, I agree. So three dead bodies could be a coincidence, but a fourth... Oh, we haven't got three dead bodies, woman. Your May Swan may turn up at any minute, dead or alive, and who knows what happened to Ian Goliard. Perhaps he won the pools and swanned off to Florida. Well, did you at least discover anything about this May Swan? <sighs> well, I got something. Um, May Swan... Aged 41, lived at 13 Nessington Street, Edmonton. Reported missing by nephew David Swan, 15th of April 1995. No sightings, not matched by any unidentified DBs. Uh, dead bodies to you. Case remains on file. Anything else I can do for you? <laughs> well, I saw Melanie. And? Well, I learned a lot. She talked and talked. She knew Summerfield long before they were students. When he went up to Cambridge, Janet made a dead set at him. Melanie played it cool and lost him, but she kept on seeing him. Then, uh, anyway, there was this tight little group of friends who kept up with each other. Odd thing, though, Maverick seems to have been one of them. Mm, he told me. Oh, did he? Mm -hmm. Well, get this. Another of the group was one Ian Golliard. <laughs> oh, ho, the plot thickens. Absolutely. Melanie knows a good bit about Ian Golliard. He's very rich, I gather. He took on the biography as his, kind of like a tribute to the great man and a friend. But he quickly went off the idea. According to Melanie, he was being hounded by Janet, who raised vehement objections when he proposed visiting some of the places in Old Giddy's life. So, he simply dumped the project back on the publishers and took himself off abroad. And where did he go? Well, Thailand, probably. Perhaps China. He has boyfriends all over the place. No one ever knows where he is. You write care of a bank in London. Did you ask Melanie about the summer of 78? Oh, yeah. It seems that they usually went on holiday together. The whole bunch of them. Janet and Giddy and Melanie and Ian. Someone called Meredith. And even once, Maverick. They'd rent a chalet in the Alps or a cottage on Exmoor and they'd descend on it with cases of wine and hampers from Fortnum's and they'd tumble about, getting into each other's beds, sleeping late, walking every afternoon. Old Giddy used to call it their summer Saturnalia. Mm. It must have been painful for Melanie to see Janet and Gideon going home to married bliss afterwards. Mm. Even though she was visited weekly. Well, he was sent... What? <laughs> oh, yeah. Janet sent him. She reckoned that if the old goat had deflowered the virgin Melanie, it was up to him to keep her service. Oh, nouts are queer as folk, as my mm. father used to say. And queerer than you know. Because, well, pretty soon, Melanie and old Giddy didn't much fancy sex together. So sometimes, the weekly visit was used as a cover for another assignation. And sometimes, they just had a cup of tea and a quiet chat. Good grief. <laughs> And the missing August. Mm. Well, Melanie remembers August 78 very clearly. 
They rented a cottage in the Mulverns. It turned out that it was too small, so tempers got frayed and there was a terrible row and Gideon left. With or without Janet? Without Janet, but with Meredith's friend. Melanie doesn't know precisely where they went, but she does know that they took the road to Wales. So, would you like a few days in Wales? Oh, sounds good. But wouldn't it be rather like looking for a needle in a haystack? No, if they were in the Malverns, the obvious road to Wales is through Hereford. Look, if we drove straight across from Hereford, we could start inquiring at hotels and inns as soon as we were over the border. When were you planning to leave? Um, tomorrow or Wednesday. Oh, sorry. I've, I've got to be in Cambridge on Wednesday. I'm a witness in the court of discipline. You know that student accused of cheating? He claims I gave him a mind-expanding drug. <laughs> I've got to attend. Another time, then. Don't worry about it. You bitch! Bloody unfeeling bitch! Oh, my God! You could have got me out of this! Just one word from you, they'd have given me the benefit of the doubt. And what did it matter to you? You could have helped me, you bloody self-protecting cow! Go and rot in hell! Oh, you're you're shaking, Miss Cry. Here, let me help you. Take my arm. Oh, thank you, Dr. Baggy Juice. Such venom! Come along now. Let's go into the combination room. Uh, Here we are. Come in there. Just sit down. Thank you. Let me get your drink. I think a brandy is in order. Here we are. Try this. Thank you. What a contemptible lout he is. Do you know, Dr. Baggy Juice, I don't think I've ever been the object of such hatred in all my life. You must try to ignore him. He richly deserves his fate. I suppose he does. If we're all quite sure that he's actually... He's done it before, you know. Done it before? Cheating. It's addictive, or rather it is when you get away with it. He was in trouble over his A-level papers. The exam syndics gave him the benefit of the doubt. Oh. Did the senior tutor in the court know that? No, no, Miss Quay. We tried to proceed fairly in a court of law. A previous record is inadmissible. He'd have cried persecution all the way to the Court of Human Rights. Now, in the Middle Ages, we could have tarred and feathered him, and quite right, too. It's a bit extreme, perhaps. Not at all, Miss Quay. Some of us love the college and serve it all our lives. To see its good name dragged in the mud... But surely nobody will blame the college, Dr. Baggageuse. This was a personal act. I suppose you're right. And at least this time, it was only a junior member of the college... The white resident, the gentleman of the house speaking. Josh, is that you? Imogen? You idiot. (laughs) Look, I phoned to ask if you know where Fran is. Uh, Not precisely. She's off on her wild goose chase. You mean she's actually gone to Wales? Hmm. I thought she'd wait till I was free. No, she borrowed her father's car and took off it. Not a clue where to start looking. I told her it was pointless. Has she made contact? Where is she? I haven't heard from her. Josh, when did she leave? Monday night. But that's three days ago. But look, Josh, I- I'm not happy about this. Well, I'm sure everything's okay, but just at the moment, Fran makes the fourth biographer of Gideon Summerfield, who seems to have disappeared off the face of the earth. Good God, I, I hadn't thought of that. You see, the point is, I think I know where Fran should have gone. What do you mean? You, you remember that box that got emptied all over my staircase? Mm-hmm. Papers, files and photographs? Yes. Well, I thought I'd rescued everything. But I missed one photo at least. I found it only a few minutes ago. Uh, I was giving the carpet a going over. Yes. It was lodged in the skirting. Mm. 
It's of three people, and one of them's Gideon Summerfield. Yes, but... but Josh, I recognise the background. It's unmistakable. It's where we used to go for summer holidays, year after year, when I was little. Those mountains, they're imprinted on my memory. That photo was taken in the Tanat Valley in Wales. All I can tell you, Imogen, is that she's not in the hotel or the pub in Tanat, and that PC Emlyn Jones is on the lookout for anyone answering her description. She's a missing person. Not technically. Not even in reality. Mike, we must do something. Imogen, be real. Your friend Fran is pursuing her researches. She's just, well, temporarily out of touch. Mike, I really don't like it. I suppose there's no law against going to Wales. Oh, oh, I thought that was coming. Well, just you make sure you phone me every day, or I'll have PC Emlyn Jones after you like a flash. Understood? Oh, Imo, how lovely to see you after <laughs> all this time. You know, I'd hoped and hoped you'd find your way back to us someday. I still can't get over it. Oh, it's lovely to be back, Gwenny. Oh, I remember this kitchen so well. Such happy times. <laughs> how I wish I'd managed to get back. Now it's taken this. I'm I'm here because I'm really worried about a friend of mine, Gwenny. Oh? She's, um... Well, she's, she's missing. Oh. I thought she might have come to these parts in the last few days. Oh, no. I, I've heard of no one just lately. Though, th there might just have been someone at the doctor's. A, a doctor's taken the old cowman's cottage down the English road a bit. Now, he has people staying with him sometimes. What's his name? I, I, I don't rightly know, see. He gets called the English, mostly. <laughs> he isn't here much. My friend will be looking for someone who might remember a holiday maker from long ago. Look, th this is him in this snap. Does that ring a bell? Oh, well, that's Quarry Farm. Th that's the gate to Evans Three Acre Top Field. There won't be any English up there anymore. They won't have them set foot on their land. That's funny, that. When you think that old Granny Evans was English. Well, whether they want me or not, I've got to speak to them. I'll go over and see them this afternoon. Get out! Get off my land, do you hear? I, I want to talk to you. You'd better get off. You'll be sorry. You see this? I'll fire it. No, no, please, just listen to me. I, I want to ask you something. You, you've been warned. I have something to ask you. If you're not off this land in ten seconds, I'll set these dogs on you. Oh, do be reasonable, please. Right, you've asked for it. No, no, call them back, please. Oh, no. No. Oh, We're in trouble now, right enough. Oh, Mum, I, I thought it was her, see? But it's a thin little woman she is. I, I, I couldn't see proper. What are we going to do with her? I phone Gwenny Floyd and ask her to come and fetch me. You're a friend of Gwenny's, is it? 
Worse and worse. Whatever will people think about us? I need a doctor. Look, my arm's bleeding quite badly now. I bind it up for you in a minute. Better let bites bleed a little first. Shall I ask the doctor to bring a tetanus jar? No, my tetanus protection is up to date. I'm a nurse. There, then. Just rest a minute. The doctor will be here soon. Do you think I could have a cup of tea? Come in. Good morning, Squire. There now, up already. You don't look too bad. <laughs> I brought you some breakfast on the dressing table. Oh, please. Goodness gracious. I won't be able to get through this lot. Oh, the bacon smells heavenly. You do your best. Now, while you're eating, let me explain. No, let me guess, Mrs. Evans. I've been admiring this quilt of yours. Beautiful, isn't it? It's out of this world. I've never seen a pattern to match it. Now, if I'm correct, someone's been trying to get you to part with it. Someone called Janet Summerfield. Am I right? Goodness. Are you a witch or something? <laughs> However, did you know that? Oh, pestered the living daylights out of us, she did. And your son mistook me for her. Oh, he's really sorry, David is. Mm. But that woman, she gave us no peace. For years it went on. The prices she'd offer. Then came the so-called antique stealers. When that didn't work, it was a phony request from some exhibition for a loan of the quilt. And then came the break-ins, three of them. But by then I did net where they couldn't find it. And last time she came, David threatened to put the dogs on her. She's left us alone for about four years now. I'm sorry, thought you were a... Truly I am... He isn't too bright, David. It is a magnificent quilt, Mrs. Evans. I'm a great quilt maker myself. Look, I have my camera here. Would you mind if I photographed it? Oh, help yourself. <laughs> Tell me, who made it? Granny Vi. The house is full of quilts, but this is the one she always prided herself on. Even so, I could never make out why that Summerfield woman wanted it so badly. Do you know when it was made? Oh, well before the war. I can't remember the spare room without it. She offered us £5,000. £5,000. Mr Evans would have taken it, but there was something funny about her. I know what you mean. Honest to goodness, love. If I'd thought she really liked it, I'd have let her have it. Heaven knows we could have done with the money. But I didn't think she did. You're quite right about Janet Summerfield. She doesn't want the quilt. She wants to destroy it. You must never let her have it, Mrs Evans. Never. Now, whoever's that at the front door? Oh, grief, it's Jones, the police... What is it you want, Mr. Jones? Good morning, Mrs. Evans. Is it a Miss Quay you have in the house? Indeed I do. Uh, We're just coming down, Mr. Jones.
I hope there's some news about my friend. <sighs> Miss Quay, Detective Sergeant Mike Parsons asked me to keep an eye on you. I can't say you'll be much pleased with all this. No, it could have been worse. But what about Francis Bullion? Have you heard anything? That's really why I'm here. It might be bad news. What do you mean? What's happened? We found a body. A woman's body. Oh, please, God, no. There's some clothing and bits found with it. Do you think you could manage to come down to the station with me and see if you can identify the belongings? No. These aren't friends. None of this is hers. Thank God. Good news for you. Bad news for someone else. Was she... Was she murdered? Indeed. Very nasty blow to the back of the head. And when... When did it happen? Ah, uh, the body was buried in peat, Miss Quay. And peat preserves bodies nicely. It'll take expert forensic to tell us that precisely. Where exactly was the grave? Up above the cottage. The one they call the English doctors. No, if you ask me, she's been dead for a couple of years. Trouble is, nobody local has gone missing. Trying to identify her? Well, that'll be like looking for a needle in a haystack. Oh, I, I, I don't know, Mr. Jones. If you're right about the time scale, try matching your body in the missing person's register against a certain May Swan. So you end up as damaged goods, and I return from Wales hale and hearty. There's something wrong somewhere. I came back with something more interesting than a damaged arm. Take a look at these photos. <laughs> Mementos of your travels? They're taken in Mrs. Evans's cottage in the Tannant Valley. A quilt? A beautiful quilt. Wouldn't you say, Fran? <laughs> Emerton, this is Gideon's maths. His famous pattern... Well, it does make a superb quilt, but how bizarre. It's a very old quilt. Old? Well, it can't be older than 1979. Oh, it's much older than that. Made in the 1920s, I should think. <laughs> Imogen, what are you saying? I'm saying, Fran, that this quilt tells us very clearly where Gideon Summerfield spent his lost days in August 1978. That's when he made his discovery. And that's why it's a secret worth killing for. God! And also why a certain biographer just back from a trip to Wales may be in great danger. You mean he stole his maths? He didn't invent it at all, he lifted it? God, this is it, all right. See the pen was tilting, but with heptagons instead of pentagons. Wait till I tell Maverick. Oh, no, 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 Frank, hang you on. can't tell anybody, don't you see? Certainly not, <laughs> Professor Maverick. He was once in the Summerfield Circle, remember? He could be behind these disappearances. Call the police. No, but, but what can we ask them to do? Imogen, I'm not taking risks with Fran's safety. If you don't call them, I will. Josh, let me talk to my friend, Mike Parsons. He's a detective sergeant. He'll know the score. Will you hold your horses till I've done that? I, I suppose. Good. And Josh, I suddenly don't feel very safe. Well, there's someone out there who'll stop at nothing to protect Summerfield's secret. You wouldn't like to move in with us for a while, would you? Oh. Um, I thought my rental agreement rules out having anyone living in the flat except me. I can vary my terms, can't I? Imogen Kwai, 
You struck gold, Imogen. Come again, Mike? That lead you gave to P.C. Jones. The body they found. It is May Swan. Oh, my goodness. But that's as far as your involvement with this goes. A body on remote patch of mountainside, head bashed in, empty purse nearby. Deceased known to have been carrying best part of 250 pounds. Pretty straightforward. Mike, the... Uh, the fact that some five miles away there's a farmhouse containing a quilt is neither here nor there. Oh, uh, uh, Mrs. Evans didn't mention anyone except Janet Summerfield, did she? May Swan didn't have to find the quilt to be in danger. Someone just needed to be convinced that she was about to find it. Mike, my chief concern now is Fran. I must get her out of danger. You! Hello, Mrs. Summerfield. May I come in? I suppose so. This way. Take a seat. Thank you. Well? As you know, my tenant, uh, Miss Bullion, was mm. anxious to find out where your husband spent some weeks of 1978. Miss Quiet. I've come to tell you that she's found the answer. She's found... What has she found? That he spent the time in a hotel in Tenby. The old hotel register proves it. Tenby? Is she sure? Absolutely. Um, alone? No, he he, he was with someone. <laughs> Melanie. Now, I didn't mind him having a mistress. He was oversexed, you know. I couldn't keep up with him. Well, you, you expect creative people to be oversexed, don't you? And he was creative. But he didn't care about me at all. Can you imagine what that was like, Miss Cry? I'm not sure that I can. Tell me. I had a life of my own once, you know. I had a good singing voice. I used to do recitals. Leader, that sort of thing. When I married Gideon, I didn't know he wouldn't be able to work if a single note of music was audible from anywhere in the house. I had to give it up. I couldn't practice enough, you see. Well, if you weigh in the balance a second-rate voice against a first-rate mathematician... But it doesn't really work like that, does it? It did for me. Well, Gideon was much the cleverest person I'd ever met. Well, that's why I married him, really. I admired him. He couldn't have wanted his work to succeed any more than I did. It was what I lived for. You do see. I can understand. I wanted children at first. Well, you do when you get married, or you did in those days. But Gideon was afraid of the noise and the mess. He needed a regular life and order, quiet. So that was that, really. You gave up your life, music, children, and yet you still wanted a flattering biography of him. I want his work acknowledged. I want him to be famous as a great mathematician. Then at least it will have been worth it all those years. Someone will say he owed a lot to a devoted wife. He's about to be given the Waymark Prize. It's his right. But he didn't deserve to enjoy it. I don't follow you, I'm afraid. <sighs> when he published his new non-periodic table and people woke up to his genius, I was quite happy for a while. Quite a few years. He liked it, too. 
But when they began talking about the way Marky suddenly went dotty, he started saying he didn't deserve it, that he was going to confess. I mean, why I had to stop him. Well, you couldn't blame me, could you? He was going to confess that he'd cheated, mm. that his great work was really someone else's. Yes, I, can you imagine the shame, the humiliation? After everything I'd done for him, he was going to drag us in the mud. And it wasn't as if he'd pinched work from a colleague. It's just a pattern some stupid cow of a Welsh farmer's wife botched up. But he wouldn't listen. So we... I had to kill him. And how did you do that, Mrs. Hummerfield? Put something in his food. It's what she said, Mike. We... I had to kill him. Put something in his food. Then she instantly denied it. A confession. Unwitnessed and instantly retracted. I take it this woman is bonkers. Stark raving. Anyway, this is the wrong crime. I thought it was biographers you were worried about. Poor May Swan. We know she was murdered because she came too close to the truth. How about Mark Zephyr's meningitis? That's rock solid, surely. Not quite, Mike. I've been doing some research. There's a drug called DNOC. It kills rapidly in a high enough dose. And the symptoms mirror meningitis. Euphoria followed by a high fever. And is this stuff for sale at your local high street pharmacy? Of course not. No, it, it's a garden chemical. But some years ago, they used to prescribe it as a slimming aid. And Fran told me that Janet Summerfield is unrecognisable in her photo album because her weight kept going up and down so dramatically. So, she might have been prescribed these things. And she might have hoarded them. An awful lot of mites, Imogen. I'm more worried about that slip of the tongue. We, I, had to kill him. We, I... Nobody makes that sort of mistake. There's someone else involved in this, Mike. I'm sure of it. And I've got to find out who. Well, yes, Mark did say there was someone else at that dinner party with Janet Summerfield. That night he got ill, he came back, all bright and cheerful, and said Janet had had a friend who'd helped her with the cooking. Some woman doctor with a funny name. You can't remember the name, can you, Pamela? It might be important. No. Very odd-sounding. One of those unisex names, like Vivian or Evelyn or Hilary. Meredith! Mike, Dr. Baggageuse's first name is Meredith. Dr. Baggageuse, senior maths fellow at St. Agatha's and noted for his cooking. And Mike, he's invited Fran to have dinner with him in his rooms. Tonight. Oh, now! Open! Open up! Be patient, can't you? Just coming. Come on, come on! What is it? I'm otherwise engaged. Police, you two wait out here. Imogen, you come with me. Ah, the invaluable Miss Kwai. Well, you would better come in. I might need an independent witness. Imogen? What there? Miss Bullion, don't move or touch anything. Just tell me, who's eating what here? What? I don't understand. What is this? Just answer the question. Dr. Baggageuse is a vegetarian, so he's made a separate meal for me. We haven't started yet. It'll be getting cold. I'll just take it <sighs> no, back No, you to don't. The... I'll take that. I'm sending it to be analysed. Ah. Imogen, 
Are you seriously suggesting that Dr. Bagaduce was about to do away with me? I'm afraid so, Fran. Oh, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Dr. Bagaduce, um, my friends here believe you were about to poison me. Were you about to poison me, Dr. Bagaduce? Yes, Miss Bullion. I was determined to avert a disaster to my college. And... You don't think it's a disaster to the college if a senior member murders a graduate student? I didn't expect to be found out. You might like to tell us what on analysis will be found in Miss Bullion's stew. I would not. Why should I help you? It will be contaminated with DNOC. You pestiferous meddler. I expected better from a college servant. The reputation of this college should matter to you. To me, it is dearer than my own. To have the good standing of a senior fellow besmirched. To give the credit for abstruse mathematics to some silly old biddy doing needlework. Never. Of course I was prepared to kill for the sake of the college. Prepared? You and your accomplice have already killed at least two people. Gideon Summerfield and Mark Zephyr. And it's more than likely you murdered May Swan. That cottage in Tannet Valley. The English doctor is you, of course. So what? You can prove nothing. I'll deny everything you can't prove. I shall prove enough, Dr. Bagaduce. May Swan put up a struggle. There are bloodstains on her clothing. They'll be DNA profiled and matched with yours. Oh, yes. I shall prove more than enough to make quite sure you get your piece of justice. In A Piece of Justice, Barbara Flynn played Imogen Kwai and Rosemary Leach, Janet Summerfield. Tracy Wiles was Fran, Geoffrey Whitehead, Mike Parsons, Colin Starkey, Dr. Maverick, and Peter Howell, Dr. Bagaduce. Josh was played by Robert Harper, Lady Buckmote by Marlene Sidaway, Dr. Mistral by James Green, Mrs. Evans by Di Botcher, and P.C. Jones by Ewan Thomas. A Piece of Justice was dramatized by Neville Teller from the book by Jill Peyton Walsh and directed by Janet Whitaker. video was uploaded to the channel thinking out louder please like comment and subscribe to the thinking out louder channel